Hello and welcome to The Adventures of Paul Temple from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. We present Peter Cook and Marjorie Westbury in the Francis Durbridge serial, Paul Temple and the Margot Mystery. Episode one, The Coat. I brought you some tea, Mrs. Temple. Oh, thank you, Charlie. What time is it? It's just gone half past four. Half past four? I didn't think it was as late as that. Well, then in New York, it'll be about half past eleven. Five hours back. Yes, I suppose it will. Do you think Mr. Temple will be up yet? Well, I hope so, Charlie. He promised the telephone. You know, I don't understand why you didn't go with him, Mrs. Temple. You usually do. You've never been to America on a lecture tour, Charlie. No, I can't say I have. Twenty-two times in four weeks. That's not my idea of fun and games. Oh, there we are. That'll be Mr. T. Hello? Mayfair Park 101? Yes. Uh, Mrs. Temple speaking? Yes, speaking. One moment, please. We have a call for you. Go ahead, New York. Hello? Paul? Is that you, darling? Hello, Steve. How are you? Oh, I'm fine, Paul. I've got some news for you. I've finished my tour and I'm flying back tomorrow night. Tomorrow? Oh, Paul, that's wonderful, darling. I'm due at London Airport at 11.15. That's Thursday morning. I'll be there. Oh, there's no need to meet me, Steve. You try and stop me. What's the flight number? BA-784. It's a BOAC flight. BA-784. Due in at 11.15. Okay, sweetie. Oh, won't you be okay? I'm the one who should sound a better <laughs> All right, Steve. See you Thursday morning. Goodbye, darling. Goodbye, dear. Have a good trip. Now then, Mrs. Temple, what about this nice cup of tea? You drink it, Charlie. I'm going to have a nice dry martini. Can I get you anything to drink, Mrs. Temple? Uh, no, I don't think I will. Thank you very much. Well, I'd certainly like something. Scotch on the rocks, please. Yes, sir. May I sit here a minute? Uh, yes, by all means. Oh, thanks. <laughs> These jets are pretty fabulous, aren't they? <laughs> they certainly are. i just flown in from California. Five hours, coast to coast. Really? <laughs> uh, my name's Langdon, by the way, Mike Langdon. We met in Hollywood, Mr. Temple. Oh, did we? Well, you don't remember? I'm sorry, but I've met so many people during the past few weeks. Why, that I... yes, of course. I was at that cocktail party the movie people ah. gave you. Me and 200 others. <laughs> that was quite a party, wasn't it? <laughs> it sure was. Are you in the film business, Mr. Langdon? No, I'm with a publishing firm in New York. Talbot and Ryder. Is this your first trip to Europe? Oh, no, I've been over many times. I was in Paris two weeks ago. Really? Mr. Temple, have you ever heard of a young man called Tony Wyman? No, I don't think so. Should I have done? Well, I understand he's fairly well known in your country. He's a pop singer. Tony Wyman? No, I'm sorry. Is he a friend of yours? No, and I doubt whether he'll turn out to be one either. What do you mean? Well, Mr. Temple, I've gotten quite a problem on my hands. I'd sure like to talk about it. Is, is that all right by you? <laughs> yes, go ahead. 
Well, about two years ago, my firm was taken over by an Englishman called George Kelburn. Oh, I've heard of Kelburn. He's a North Country chap, reputed to be a millionaire. Yeah, that's right. Well, when Kelburn took our firm over, he made, well, he made me the number one boy. He's a blunt, ruthless sort of a guy, but we've always gotten on well together. Is he older than you? Uh, yeah, he's around about 60. Maybe 62 or 3, I'm not sure. Huh? Go on, Mr. Langdon. Well, Kelburn's first wife died some years ago, and he married again. A woman a lot younger than himself. He has a daughter, Julia, by his first wife. Julia's about 21, young, attractive, and hopelessly spoiled. Not unusual. No, I suppose not. Well, to cut a long story short, Julia's got herself tangled up with this nightclub singer called Tony Wyman. And she told dear old Pappy that she intends to marry the guy. And Kelvin's against it. Against it? Kelvin's going to stop that marriage if it's the last thing he does. Hmm. But uh, how do you fit into all this, Mr. Langdon? I mean, if you're just a business associate of Kelvin's... Well, that's just the point. I don't fit in. Then why are you... Well, Kelvin sent me an SOS. There's nothing I can do about it. You mean he wants you to try and influence her? Exactly. Julia and I have always gotten our well together, so he wants me to talk to the kid and try to persuade her to throw the boyfriend over. Do you think you've got much chance? None. According to all accounts, she's nuts about this guy, Tony Wyman. You seem to be in quite a spot. Yeah, you can say that again. If I refuse to help Kelvin, he'll put me on the spot business-wise. No doubt about that. I know Kelvin. On the other hand, if I get mixed up with it and make a hash of things, which is more than likely, it's going to... Well, it's not going to do me any good either. And how does Kelvin's wife react to all this? Oh, Linda takes the point of view that Julia's 21 and she... Well, she can do what she likes anyway. Well, there's no point in anticipating trouble, Mr. Langdon. Perhaps when you get to London, you'll find the situation has straightened itself out. Well, I certainly hope so. Anyway, I'm in the phone book. If you feel I can help you at any time, give me a ring. Well, now, that's real neighborly of you. I appreciate it. I certainly do. Yes, thanks, but I'm still trying to find my wife. We appear to have missed each other. Is there anything I can do? No, thanks. I'm just going across to the other building to see if she's there. Mayfair 5101. Is that you, Charlie? Mr. Temple, where are you? I'm at the airport. Is Mrs. Temple with you? Well, I know. I thought she'd be with you. She left here about two hours ago. Did she take the car? Yeah, the little runabout. You're sure she knew the time and the place? Yeah, she knew the time and place, all right. She'd been talking about nothing else for the past 24 hours. Did she say whether she had any calls to make? No, but I don't think she had. I hope there hasn't been an accident. Yes, I hope so too, Charlie. All right, I'll see you later. Very good, sir. Ah, oh, come in, Sir Graham. It's very good of you to come at a moment's notice. My dear fellow, I'd have got here sooner, and I was on my way home when your message came through. I understand there's no news, Mr. Temple. No, I'm afraid not. Uh, this is Superintendent Rain, Temple. I don't think you've met before. No, I don't think we have. How do you do? How do you do? Um, sit down and I'll get you a drink. No, 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 don't worry about drinks. Temple, tell me, have you checked the hospital? I've checked every hospital within 30 miles of the airport. It took me the best part of the afternoon. I understand you found Mrs. Temple's car. Yes, it was in the car park at the airport. The attendant remembered her arriving about half an hour before my plane was due. 
She left her coat in the back of the car, so she couldn't have intended to go much further than the lounge or maybe the restaurant. I take it Mrs. Temple didn't leave a note for you or anything with No, I've her... been through the place pretty thoroughly, and apart from a telephone message, there's nothing, absolutely nothing. What was the telephone message? Oh, it was on the pad upstairs. It simply said, tell Paul about L. Who's L? I don't know, but I don't think it's important, Sir Graham. According to Charlie, the message was written several days ago. Well, I'm sorry, Mr. Temple, but it looks as if we shall have to face the facts. Your wife's obviously been kidnapped. Now, the question is... Hello? Hello? All right. Go ahead. Talk to him now. Hello? Who is that? Is that you, Paul? Steve! Is that you, Steve? Paul, can you hear me? Yes, but where are you? Don't worry, dear. There's nothing to worry about. Yes, but Steve, where are you speaking from? I'm perfectly all right. Now, listen. There was a man on the phone. I heard his voice. Who was it? Paul, don't try to get... Darling, please tell me, where are you? Oh, Paul. Oh, my God. What's happened? The line's gone dead. Replace the receiver, Mr. Temple, in case she tries to ring back. Temple, you said something about a man. Was there someone with Steve? Yes, I heard a voice just as I picked up the telephone. Sounded as if someone was telling it. Hello? Take it easy, Tim. Hello? Paul? Steve, where are you speaking from? I don't know the number. Darling, look at the dial. It's a call box. Yes, but where is it? I'm trying to concentrate. Is there anyone with you? No. Not now, darling. Well, where's the telephone box, Steve? Yes? Please, come and fetch me, darling. I'll wait for you in the station, near the bookstore. I'll be there in five minutes. What's happened? She's at Euston Station. Right, come on, Temple. Rain, get through to the yard. We'll see you at Euston. Steve! Oh, oh. Oh, darling. Steve. Well, thank God we found you. Are you all right, Steve? Yes, Sir Graham. I'm just a little tired, that's all. What's happened? How did you get here? Who, who is that man I heard on the phone? I... Wait a moment, Temple. I think perhaps we'd better get her home and let the doctor see her before we start asking too many questions. Oh, yes, of course. You're absolutely right, Sir Graham. Yeah. Come on, darling. Let and... me help you, Mr. Temple. Temple, this really is an extraordinary affair. I've never come across a case quite like it before. No ransom, no threats, no blackmail. Nothing. And no motive either, Sir Graham, so far as we can see. May I come in, Mr. Temple? Oh, yes, of course, Doctor. Well, what's the verdict? Oh, nothing to worry about, nothing at all. But there's no doubt Mrs. Temple had had quite a shock, and in my opinion, she's either been drugged or even possibly hypnotized. Hypnotized? Yes, but the main thing is there's nothing for you to worry about, Mr. Temple. What your wife needs now is rest. Plenty of it. Mm. I've given her a sedative. She'll probably sleep most of tomorrow morning. Thank you, Doctor. I'll look in during the afternoon or give you a ring tomorrow evening. Thank you. Oh, and Superintendent... My patient can't answer any questions, not at the moment, at any rate. Yes, of course. 
So hold your horses until tomorrow, right? I will. And that goes for you too, Mr. Temple. Well, good night. Good night, Doctor, and thanks again. Oh, it's all right. I can let myself out. Good night, Sir Graham. Good night, Doctor. Why are you sitting over there? I'm listening to the radio and watching you, darling. Well, well what time is it? <laughs> what time do you think? I don't know. About uh, almost now? It's a quarter past three. A quarter past... A quarter past three? Yes, darling. You've had quite a nice little nap. How long have I actually been asleep? Since ten o'clock last night. The doctor gave you a sedative. Good heavens, you shouldn't have let me sleep like this. Oh, Paul, you look wonderful. How lovely to see you again. Mm. Darling, did you have a nice trip? Mm, I did, but it's the last trip I'm making without you, Mrs. T. You can say that again. <laughs> How do you feel? Oh, I'm perfectly all right now. There's no need to look so anxious. Do you feel well enough to talk? Yes, of course. Well, what happened yesterday, Steve? Well, now, let me think... I'm not sure where to begin. Uh, you set out to meet me at the airport, just as you planned. Yes. Well, I arrived with plenty of time to spare. And I, I parked the car. A man in uniform, one of the airport officials, came up to me, checked the number of the car, and asked if I was Mrs. Temple. He told me your plane had arrived ahead of schedule, and you were waiting for me in the VIP lounge. Would you recognize this man again? Mm, I doubt it. Go on. Well, he asked me to follow him to another car. And I thought he was taking me to another building, you know, some distance away. In the back of the car was a woman wearing air hostess's uniform. I sat beside her, and the man climbed into the driving seat, and we drove off. We'd been going for about a minute, and suddenly I felt a jab in my right arm. A hypodermic needle? Yes. I'm afraid I don't remember anything else. About the journey, I mean. When I came to, I was in a darkened room... It was absolutely awful. After a while, a man came into the room and gave me a drink. I don't know what it was, but it certainly made me feel better. Was the man the phony airport official? I couldn't see him very well, but I don't think it was. For one thing, his voice sounded different. What did he say? He said there was nothing to worry about, that I wasn't in any danger. And later on, they'd be releasing me. Did you ask him why they'd kidnapped you? Yes. And he said, we did it as a warning... And to prove that it was possible, Mrs. Temple. Oh, go on. Well, he left me. And about two or three hours later, another man came into the room. I think this was the man of the airport. How do you know? Well, he was about the same height, and he sounded rather like him. But you're not sure? I can't be a hundred percent sure. Anyway, about half an hour later, they drove me down to Houston and let me make the telephone call. But didn't they give you any idea what this was all about? Why, they'd abducted you? Not the slightest. Don't you know, Paul? Yeah, clue. I'm not investigating a case at the moment. I'm not mixed up in anything. You know that, Steve. Hmm. If only I could remember more details... Well, don't worry about it. You're all right. That's the main thing. Oh, yes. Hey, you must have been pretty worried. Oh, not really, darling. I just went berserk. <laughs> oh, by the way, I put your coat in the wardrobe. My coat? Mm, we found it in the back of the car when we collected it from the airport. But I didn't take a coat with me. Yes, you did, Steve. Here it is. Well? 
That's not my coat. It is, Steve. It was in the back of the car. I don't care where it was. It isn't my coat. You sure, dear? I'm positive. Is there anything in the pockets? Um, no, nothing. Well, there should be a maker's name on the back of the collar. Yes, I'm just looking for it. Ah, here we are. Margot. Superintendent, come in. Thank you. Good evening, Superintendent. Good evening, Mrs. Temple. Well, you look better than you did a week ago. Oh, yes, I'm fine now. Thank you very much. I just happened to be passing, and I thought I'd drop in and have a word with you. Although we don't seem to have got very far during the past week. Oh, well, we're glad to see you just the same. We have made inquiries about the coat, but we've drawn a blank. We failed to find the owner or even the shop where it was bought. What about the makers? Oh, we can't even locate the makers. According to all accounts, there isn't a coat firm called Margot. No? Well, not in this country, at any rate. I see. Well, I think the people who kidnapped Steve were laboring under the delusion that I was just about to start a case of some kind. And you think the Mrs. Temple incident was a warning to keep out? Yes, I do. Well, that's a possible explanation, I suppose. But what's the case? I haven't one just now. What's your biggest headache at the moment? Oh, our biggest headache is the fence. Trying to find out who he is, but we've had that headache for some time now. What do you mean, the fence? Well, you know what a fence is, Mrs. Temple. Uh, yes, of course, the man who receives stolen property. That's right. Well, during the past 12 months, there have been several robberies. Uh, I mean, really big stuff. The two jewellers in Leicester Square. Oh, yes. The fur warehouse in Bond Street. And Lord Renton's place in Eaton Square. Yes, that's right. Well, it's our opinion that these particular jobs were all done... By the same people? <laughs> no, Mrs. Temple, nothing quite as simple as that. We think, in fact, we know that the various jobs have been done by different people. We feel pretty confident, however, that the stolen property was in every case handled by the same person. The fence? Yes. And so far, we've failed to find out who this fence is or where he operates from. And sooner or later, we've got to find him because at the moment, he's indirectly responsible for most of the big robberies in the country. Really? Yes. Still, we've no reason for thinking, no proof, that Mrs. Temple's experience had anything to do with the fence. No, I agree, Superintendent. Oh, but uh, there was one thing I wanted to ask you. Yes? Uh, the day Mrs. Temple disappeared, you said something about a note, a telephone message, which was on a oh, pad. Oh, yes, of course. I forgot all about that. There was a note, Steve. It said, tell Paul about L." Oh, yes, that was Linda Stafford. She telephoned one morning and said she wanted to see you. She seemed very disappointed when I said you were in New York. Who's Linda Stafford? She's a journalist. Well, she was several years ago. We used to see quite a bit of each other when I worked in Fleet Street. And then she left and uh, married a man called Kelvin. Kelvin? George Kelvin? Yes, I think so. Very wealthy, North Country. She's his second wife. That's right. Oh. Anyway, when I told her you were in New York, she said she'd get in touch with you later. Well, I, I thought nothing of it at the time, but a couple of days later, I met her in, um, in Freeman and Bentley's. Naturally, I mentioned the telephone call. To my amazement, she said that she hadn't phoned. She said she hadn't. That's right, Superintendent. She said she certainly had no wish to consult Paul about anything. Very odd. Certainly is. 
Paul, why were you surprised when I mentioned the name Kelvin? Well, coming over on the plane, a man called Langdon introduced himself to me. He works for George Kelvin. Oh. Apparently, Kelvin's having trouble with his daughter, and he's asked Langdon to try and sort it out. Yes, I've heard of Miss Kelvin. Julia, by name. That's right. Always in the newspapers. She must be quite a handful, that young lady. I don't envy Mr. Langdon his assignment. Oh, well, I'll be making a move. I'm glad you're feeling better, Mrs. Temple. Thank you. Let me know if there's any news about the coat. Yes, I will indeed, Mr. Temple. Goodbye. Goodbye. I think I'm going to bed now, Paul. Yes, all right, dear. I'm just finishing a couple of letters. Mm -hmm. Oh, Steve, how well do you know Linda Kelvin? We used to see quite a bit of each other in the old days. But we were never close friends. What's she like? Attractive, I suppose. A little too self-centered for my liking. She's looking quite a bit older these days. <laughs> Aren't we all? <laughs> were you surprised when she married Kelvin? Well, quite frankly, I'd never heard of him. Mm. Are you in or out, Mr. Temple? Uh, at a quick glance, I should say we're in. <laughs> well, there's a Mr. Langdon I'd like to see you... Looks like a yank to me. <laughs> yes, he is a yank, as you so elegantly put it. Show the gentleman in. Langdon, is this the man that you met on the plane? Yes. Did you ask him to call? Well, not in so many words, but I said if I could be of use any time, I'd be pleased to see him. Mr. Langdon, sir. Oh, hello, Langdon. Come in. Oh, thanks. I don't think you've met my wife. No, I haven't had that pleasure. I'm very happy to know you, Mrs. Temple. How do you do, Mr. Langdon? Uh, can I get you a drink? No, thanks. I've already had more than my share this evening. Which isn't surprising, considering. Why, is the Kelvin business getting you down? Yeah, it certainly is. Oh, you've seen Juliet, I take it. Yeah, half a dozen times, and it's hopeless. She has every intention of doing precisely what she wants. Ah. And what about the young man she's keen on, Tony Wyman? Well, I went to see Wyman last night. Where? At the hide-and-seek? That's right, Mrs. Temple. I arrived at the club about half-past twelve, and Wyman was just finishing his act. I'd already telephoned the manager to say I wanted to have a word with him. Who's been asking for me, mister? Yeah, that's right. Let's sit down over there and have a drink, Mr. Wyman. My name's Langdon. I'm from New York. You an agent? No, as a matter of fact, I'm a publisher. Publisher? Ah, oh, I see. Uh, do you want to buy my life story? Two of the boys are cooking it up. No, I don't want to buy your life story. We don't publish that kind of book. I want to talk to you about Julia Kelburn. Julia Kelper? Yes. I understand you're in love with her. You want to get married. Who told you that? Why, Julia. Besides, it's in all the newspapers. Do you believe everything you read in the newspapers? Look, I don't get this. Julia said you were unofficially engaged. That's so unofficial, I ain't even heard of it. Hey, now what's all this about? You've got a proposition? Let's have it. Yes. Kelvin wants you to leave his daughter alone. He says if you promise not to see her again, he'll pay you 5,000 pounds. <laughs> so, Kelvin is nuts. I wouldn't marry his daughter if she was the last piece on earth and he offered me 50,000 pounds. What? That kid of his gets in my head. She said that Look, you... I can get all the blondes and all the brunettes I want. So why should I get married? Tell me. Why should I get married? What am I missing? Kelvin's a wealthy man. 
I thought maybe Lolly? you might be... Ah, oh, where is the barn, Lolly? I've got more Lolly than I know what to do with. Tell Mr. Kelburn he can keep his 5,000 nicker, and that goes for his daughter, too. All right. I'll deliver the message, Mr. Wyman. What a charming young man. Yes, I wasn't exactly enthralled by Master Wyman. Do you think he was telling the truth? I don't know. He sounded convincing, and yet... Well, it just doesn't add up. Everyone I've spoken to swears he's got his beady eye on her. Mr. Temple, I know this is a bit of a nerve, but do you think you could make one or two inquiries for me? About Tony Wyman? Yeah. All right, Langdon. We'll get on the grapevine and see what we can do. Well, that's mighty kind of you. I appreciate it. I really do. And how about changing your mind and having a drink? Yeah, there's nothing I'd like better. Look, Mrs. Kelvin, I'm quite prepared to see you, but first of all, I must know what this is all about. It's about my stepdaughter, Julia. What about Julia? She's going to be murdered. Hello, Steve. You're nice and late this morning. Yes, I know. I didn't get to sleep until five o'clock. What time is it, anyway? Twenty uh, past nine. Oh, goodness, we are late. Mm. And so's your friend Linda Kelburn. She said she'd be here. Well, this will be her now. Do you want me to stay? Yes, of course. I've got a hunch she only telephoned me because she knew that you... Yes, darling? Superintendent Rain would like to see you, sir. Oh, excuse me, Mr. Temple. May I have a word with you? Yes, of course. All right, John. Good morning, Mr. Temple. Good morning, Superintendent. Something's happened. What is it, Rain? We picked a girl out of the river about two hours ago. She'd been strangled. It was George Kelburn's daughter. Oh, Julia oh. Kelburn? Yes. But that isn't everything. What do you mean? The dead girl was wearing a coat. There was a name on a label stitched inside the collar. We've seen that name before. Margot? Yes. That was the first episode of the Francis Durbridge serial, Paul Temple and the Margot Mystery, with Peter Cook as Paul Temple and Marjorie Westbury as Steve. Production for the BBC was by Martin C. Webster. <laughs>